Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of Where the White Coats Come Off. If you are a pre-PA, then you are absolutely in the right place. We are so happy you are here and to help you get accepted into PA school. The physician assistant profession is literally the greatest career in the world, and if it is your dream to become a PA, our mission is to show you how to put together your strongest cast of application, get PA school interviews, and get accepted to PA school. Beth and I have worked at PA schools for years, which means we have tons of experience assessing CASPA apps and choosing which applications applicants to invite for interviews, interviewing, and then choosing which candidates to accept. So if you are genuinely ready to take the next step and become a PA student without wasting an entire year or cycle trying to decipher what is accurate on the forums or which advice to take or unsure about how to create your strongest application so you can stand out from thousands of other applicants, then definitely follow along. We are so excited to be your PA mentors and to help you in your journey to becoming a PA. It means the world to us that you are here. Before we dive into today's episode, if you are starting to hit the SOS or panic button because you are not where you need to be with submitting your CASPA app this cycle, then you will want to hear this because we have something that will be so helpful and valuable for you. We are doing VIP days where we meet you on Zoom and put together your strongest PA school application with you. Even if you don't have a single sentence written, you will have your personal statement completely done. Your CASPA experience details paragraphs finished. Your list of PA schools that value your strengths for your highest chances of getting accepted this cycle and it includes a mock interview for when you start getting all those PA school interview invites. This is what you need if you want a competitive and complete CASPA application so you can submit. Remember, the longer you wait to submit your app, the less chances you have of getting accepted to PA school. Your future patients need you and the life you have dreamed about is waiting for you. Our clients rave about VIP days and have said this is the only resource that anyone needs to land interviews and get accepted. So get into a VIP day with us and let's build your strongest, most competitive CASPA application so you can start getting PA school interviews. Learn more in the episode notes. Now on to today's episode. Today, we are so excited to introduce you to physician assistant Colleen Sloan. Colleen Sloan has such an incredible background. She started out as a registered dietitian and then became a physician assistant and is just a huge wealth of information about medical nutrition, among many other things. She also has an amazing podcast that you should definitely check out and follow, especially if you're going to be working in healthcare, which we will talk about a little bit later in this episode. It's called Exam Room Nutrition. Give it up for Colleen and welcome to the podcast. Welcome back, guys, to another episode of Where the White Coats Come Off. I am so excited to introduce you to Colleen Sloan, an amazing PA, and she has an incredible podcast that you definitely need to go check out. Please join me in welcoming Colleen. Colleen, thank you so much for being here. Hey, Katie. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to chat with you. So to get started, I would love our listeners to hear about your background and your journey to becoming a PA because you just have such an incredible story. Would you mind sharing your story and your journey? Yeah, I'd love to. I kind of always wanted, knew I wanted to be in medicine in some sort, so I always kind of had that pre-med route. I grew up in South Florida, and I stayed in South Florida for college, so I went to FIU in Miami. And through my undergrad, you know, it's kind of hard to decide what your undergrad degree is going to be, right? You're kind of always told, oh, biology, chemistry, those classes were so boring to me. And I happened to tour a college campus with my mom and I was in kind of, I think my first or second year of college already just doing the, you know, prerequisites for everything. And I had run into the nutrition department and spoke to some of the um, professors there. And I'm like, this is fascinating. I think I want to get my undergrad in nutrition. So 
kind of switched gears and it was a beautiful merge for or, or a prerequisite basically for anything medical, whether you're, you know, thinking med school, PA school, anything like that, because the, the sciences are the same. So I was able to get a degree in something that interested me while at the same time meeting all the prerequisites. So I didn't have to do any extra classes. So I graduated with my bachelor's in nutrition and dietetics and nutrition and becoming a registered dietitian is actually very similar to becoming a dietitian. You need to get your degree first and then you have to do about a year of kind of rotations and then you have to sit for a state board because you are licensed in your state. So I kind of wanted to just continue on that route and just be a dietitian. I didn't really know much about PAs at that point. And I definitely was like, yeah, I don't think I want to do medical school. So I worked as a registered dietitian actually for about five years and I worked in a variety of fields. I started out in the hospital cause it's kind of the easiest job to get. And as a registered dietitian in a hospital, you work with patients who are on specialized diets, whether that be a diabetic diet, a kidney disease diet, dialysis diet. And I was on the trauma floor. So I would calculate the tube feeding for those who couldn't eat by mouth and calculate the TPN, which is like IV nutrition. Very rewarding job, and I really, really liked it. Excellent work-life balance. But after about a year or two, I was like, eh, I kind of want to do more. So I branched out. I opened my own practice doing weight management and diabetes education. And then I connected with one of the past presidents of the dietetic, the American Dietetic Association, Lucille Bessler. And she introduced me to the pediatric world. And so I worked at a big hospital down here in South Florida, Children's Hospital, and I ran their outpatient clinics for cleft and craniofacial dialysis and cystic fibrosis. And that's when I fell in love with pediatrics and really fell in love with medicine because I had been doing nutrition my whole life. And although yes, medicine, you know, it's medical nutrition therapy, I really wanted to do more for the patients and on the medical team. And throughout that journey and working as a dietitian, I met a ton of PAs, nurse practitioners, doctors, and I used my time to kind of interview them and ask, Hey, what do you like about your job? What do you do is so fascinating. You know, what do you not like about your job? So I really knew exactly kind of which route I wanted to go before I even applied to any of the schools. And I kind of clicked with a lot of the PAs. They all kind of had my personality too. So very quickly I decided I'm going to apply to PA school. And I applied to a school down here in South Florida, Nova Southeastern. I actually only applied to one because um, at that time I had a four-year-old child. So I knew I couldn't move. So I wanted to stay in South Florida and this was really a very prestigious school. So I applied and got in and that was in 2015 and, um, had to stop working altogether. I mean, you know, in PA school, you really, you can't, you can't work. So I did not work at all as a dietitian and I became a PA in 2017 and continued my passion for pediatrics. And I've stayed in pediatric ever since. So I work in um, a primary outpatient pediatric clinic. Amazing. And you can probably relate to this. When you are a PA, you see how much nutrition plays a role in both acute and chronic diseases. And I know going through PA school that um, our nutrition class was very minimal. You know, we got the very basics of it. What was your experience like seeing both sides, dietitian and the PA education world? And what would you change about the nutrition education for PAs? You're spot on with the fact that we don't get enough nutrition training in school, whether it be PA school, nurse practitioner school, or medical school. I mean, there's tons of studies on doctors and how little nutrition training they get. And we know from experience, you're right. I think I had like 
maybe a course, like one class in nutrition. And then it was kind of like dispersed throughout um, the, the program, you know, so if you're on like nephrology section, you're going to get like a few slides of what a kidney friendly diet is. And that's it, right? That's, that's it. So I very quickly realized that clinicians don't really know what they're doing or talking about with nutrition unless they go and seek further education because you're not equipped with that right out of school. And if you think about it, I would say 90% of the diseases that we manage have something to do with nutrition, right? Let's think about the body system, right? Cardiology. We could talk about high cholesterol, sodium levels, potassium levels. All that comes from food. We talk about kidney disease. You've got to talk about their diet because that's what's going to help maintain their sodium balance. If you're going to talk about anything GI, obviously that's where the food goes. So that's everything nutrition. So really clinicians are not equipped at all to discuss nutrition, but I kind of felt this heart and this, I saw this need in medicine, working in pediatrics, specifically with picky eaters. So your, you know, your toddlers who are really, really picky and the parents who are just so overwhelmed and exhausted with trying to battle the picky eater and are overweight or obese kind of preteens, teenagers. These two populations are treated so poorly and inadequately, and they're given such poor education. And unfortunately, the overweight children are stigmatized, they're made fun of, they're shamed, and this causes such a detriment to their health and their, you know, their pride in their bodies long term. We're seeing so many studies that if we are shaming kids young and kind of really focusing so hard on their weight, they take the the opposite end in a few years and they learn to restrict and binge. And now we've got a a teenager or a young adult who has an eating disorder because all her life she's been told, Hey, you're, you're too fat. You know, no one's going to want to take you to prom because you look like that. And those are things I've actually heard. My patients have come to me and said, one of the other doctors told me this and that breaks my heart and it should really break any of the listeners hearts who take care of kids. They're so fragile at this age, especially our teenagers and our preteens. They're learning who they are, what they want to be. So the words that we say and the things that we say about them impacts them so much. And I'll have parents will come to me and say, my kid is so picky. I just don't know what to do. And the last clinician that I saw just said that they're going to grow out of it or just said that it's normal. So it's not really the clinician's fault, right? Like I can't blame them that they didn't get this education. And a lot of the times, some clinicians don't really care too much about nutrition. We don't have enough time to talk about it. So there's so many barriers that are impacting why our nutrition education is so lacking. So I decided to do something about it. And I think that's how you and I met. Um, I created a podcast, and it's called Exam Room Nutrition. And my goal is to teach clinicians how to discuss nutrition. And it's through proper communication. So it's a lot of giving you answers to common nutrition questions. So if you know, Hey, what do I say to the parent of the four-year-old who says, my kid is so picky. All they want is mac and cheese and chicken nuggets. And you know, I have a unique perspective because since I'm in the pediatric world, I, I know the questions that you're getting. And I also know the burden of time limitations that you have because I come from a very, very busy practice and I really only have five or 10 minutes for a checkup but it can be done. So the goal of my podcast is to teach you clinicians how to have those nutrition discussions, how to kind of work it through a really busy clinic day while being very compassionate and careful with the words that you choose. 
so awesome. And whether the listener is a clinician already or not a pre-PA, this is information that you absolutely need. So go listen to her podcast, go subscribe. It is Exam Room Nutrition. And on that note, what has been some of your favorite episodes that you've done that you think would just be so valuable no matter who the listener is? I've done so many great ones. And the fun thing that I love, and I'm sure you love this too, podcasting is such a fun way to connect with people that you would never otherwise connect with, right? And so the guests that I have on my show are registered dietitians. So I personally vet them before I actually will bring them onto the show. I need to make sure that their dietitians have that credential, have been practicing for a while, so they have their own expertise. I also will have speech language pathologists because feeding and feeding therapy is a big part of pediatrics and adult medicine. But I also bring on adult um, dietitians who work in the adult realm. So I've had on a cardiac dietitian. I've done a few episodes on kidney disorders and kidney stones. So this podcast is great for whether you're in pediatrics or not, because it, it gives you just a really good variety of topics. And I've learned so much just from my personal life. I don't work with women who have PCOS, but I have a family member who does. So I've been able to glean information that that helped me not only professionally, but personally as well, too. So to answer your question, my favorite topics, I think one, a couple of my favorite ones have been how to discuss weight around, around your child, because I get this all the time. Parents will come in already shaming their child and say, doctor, he's too fat. I have to get him to lose weight. You need to put him on a diet. And they use very aggressive language. And... It, it can be hard. You kind of are taken aback. Even for me, I'm a dietitian and I've been in PA practice for six years. Sometimes you don't know which way to start and like how to guide the conversation because really as a PA, you need to be the advocate for your patient. Whether it's a pediatric patient or an adult patient, you are on their team. You're not against them. You're not working against them. You're on their team to help them have the healthiest, fullest, most vibrant, enjoyable life possible. And when a mom or a parent is attacking the child for their weight or their body size, it, it upsets me. So that, that episode was a really, really great one because it was from a registered, registered dietitian who works in pediatrics, and she has a background in eating disorders. So she's kind of seen the backside of how detrimental body shaming can be in kids. And she gave some very practical, you know, you, you should say this, not that, not that, how to guide the discussion. I also love my talk for perimenopausal and menopausal women. So it was nutrition for women over 40 because sadly I'm kind of approaching that age. And, you know, I, I took that as like personal information and I thought that was so useful. She gave some, some, you know, appropriate and healthful diets to actually follow because there's so much misinformation about intermittent fasting for this, this age range, um, about different supplements. And so she really talked a lot about the appropriate approach to helping perimenopausal women. I have a few that are coming out soon. I, I um, interviewed a former patient who has an eating disorder, and she's currently in remission. And I wanted to take the perspective of the patient. So I wanted to hear, hey, what did the clinicians do or say to you as a preteen and teen that, you know, looking back, were not helpful, maybe even spurred you on to this eating disorder? And then how was it missed? And then what should clinicians say to do better? 
you know, because she, she had an eating disorder from 12 or 13 and she wasn't diagnosed until 19 and put into, you know, therapy and inpatient counseling and everything until she was 20. And thank goodness she is healthy and thriving and doing well. But she also too said the words that we use impacted her so much that I just thought it was a really cool perspective to get from the patient side of, well, the doctor said this to me and, and, and most of the time it's unintentional. We don't really realize that by saying, oh, you lost five pounds. Good for you. You're looking really good. But to a teenager who's very hyper-focused on her body and wanting to lose weight and thinking that she still looks fat, her hearing and getting that positive reinforcement that, oh, five pounds, I look good. I look better. Let me lose five more just was a snowball effect. So that one is going to be coming out soon. And I think that's going to be a really impactful conversation that listeners would really get a lot from. Yeah, I was just going to say what an incredible perspective that is. I don't think you can really find perspectives like that anywhere else. So, so, so excited to hear that. Outside of the education piece, what else do you see as a primary obstacle to helping patients improve their lifestyle through nutrition? Is it like the patient buy-in, the compliance? Like, what do you, what do you think about that? There are so many barriers with nutrition. You know, if if I had the answer or a dietitian had the answer, we kind of dietitians would be kind of out of out of business, you know, because losing weight and eating healthy is hard, right? And there are so many components to getting patients on the right track, whether it be resistance, right? Because just some people don't they're not ready to change. And we do have to meet patients where they are. I think the most important thing to remember as a clinician is it's not our job to change our patients. It, it's not, it's our job to come alongside them and meet them where they're at and help them in whatever that looks like and wherever they're at in their journey towards a healthier lifestyle. But if they don't wanna change, eat healthier, lose weight, stop smoking, stop drinking, you know, any healthy behaviors, it doesn't matter what you say, you're not gonna change them. But you can create a relationship that will be lifelong and when they're ready, they will come to you because you've created this trusting relationship that's non-judgment that's non-judgmental and where they know hey this clinician's been with me and i've been really resistant to change from them for years but they never shamed me they never judged me they never commented about how overweight or unhealthy i am but they've always been there and they've listened i'm going to go back to them because i think i'm ready now right so it's all about creating that relationship and meeting the patients where they are I think a lot of the barriers too with clinicians, time is a huge one, right? I mean, we are understaffed, whether you're in the, whether you're a professional writer, uh, mailman, driver, everyone is understaffed, healthcare especially. So we're understaffed, we're still seeing a very, very high volume of patients. So time is a really, really big one. But I find that there are certain parts in the, you know, checkup that you can throw in a little a question. You can throw in a little tidbit of, hey, I think that this this might help. Or, hey, do you think we could reframe what you're saying to your child to maybe help them feel more positive about their body? Something simple as that, and it could be a one-liner, really can transform and change their lives because you're only getting five or 10 minutes out of a 24-hour day out of 365 days in a year. But that one thing that you can say might be the seed that's planted to improve the parent's relationship with food, the family's relationship with food. So even just the smallest little suggestions and tips can help. And regarding time, I always tell clinicians, 
you don't have to have this big, long nutrition education at every single session. And honestly, sometimes it's not appropriate. You're seeing a patient who's coming into you for wrist, wrist pain. You do an x-ray and they have a broken wrist. It is not the appropriate time to say, hey, what are we going to do about your weight because your BMI is over 35 and you're considered obese? It's, that's not the right time and place. Number one, the patient didn't come in for that concern. They're really concerned about their broken wrist and they want that fixed. And number two, their weight isn't their identity. Their weight really always isn't the reason that they're sick all the time, right? So there is a time and a place to have these discussions. And as primary care clinicians, it's our job to provide small amounts of information that's easy to digest during that small visit, ask a lot of questions, because I find we don't ask enough questions as clinicians. We interrupt our patients all the time. And when we just want to give information, we want to give them a treatment. Here's your diagnosis. Here's your plan. See you in you know next year. Whereas if you were to just ask a simple question, like, do you have any concerns about what you're eating or how much you're eating? Or something like, hey, how are you feeling when you're eating really late at night? I know you mentioned you, you, know, you snack kind of late before bed. Is there some emotion that's triggering, triggering you to do that? Those two simple questions. Now you've opened their box to allow the patient to kind of guide, guide the conversation. If they say, hey, no, I don't really have any concerns about what I'm eating. Or, you know what? Yeah, I really feel like I just, my portion sizes are, are way too big. I eat too much or I snack too much. The patient will tell you, just like if you have a good history, if you ask good questions about nutrition, the patient will tell you kind of where their pain points are and what things that they might consider working on. And then you can simply follow that up. Oh, would you like some more information about that? I would love to work with you on that. How can I help you on this journey? Simple as that. And then if they do want information, if you don't have the time, get with, have a handful of four or five dietitians that you can easily refer to, give a business card. Instagram's got plenty of great dietitians that do virtual practice and just say, hey, why don't you reach out to this dietitian? She'll be able to give you way more information than I can. But for now, why don't we work on this? And then I'll see you in two weeks or I'll see you in four weeks. Something simple like that to not overburden the patient because, again, you don't have a lot of time. The patient's getting a lot of information from the checkup as well, too. And I think that's a really good way to also combat a resistant, quote unquote, patient because sometimes they're resistant just because your information comes off really judgmental and pushy you know they might not want nutrition information right now and if you're just throwing them a handout that's you know low fat low cholesterol low sodium diet they're going to throw it out on their way out and not even read it and just think geez this doctor is really judging me because he just gave me this information i didn't even ask for it so i think you know we think that patients are resistant but sometimes it's just our delivery and our timing whereas if we can ask better questions then the information that we're giving will be more likely to be received. So well said and great advice. If you could tell PAs anything, what would you tell them? Oh gosh, that's such a great question. And I think the first thing is to slow down and just pause before you, before you give an answer. I honestly love answering a question with a question because the patient's asking one question and, and they're looking for an answer, but you don't really know what it is that they're looking for. So you still need some more information before you go and give them a solution. So for example, you know, I'm in the pediatric world. So I'll, almost every single four-year-old is quote unquote picky. So they're going to, I'm going to, my first question is always going to say, do you have any concerns about what your child eats or how much they're eating? They 
95% of the time will say, oh my gosh, she's really, really picky. And then they stop. So if you don't pause, number one, because that question is actually a very, very heavy question. And if you think about it, you could go in so many different directions, right? I could think, okay, well, are they picky because of medical reasons? Do they have some swallowing disruption? Do they have an issue with chewing? Do they have an issue with esophageal issues? Do they have a food allergy? Do they have something going on with their stomach? Could this be celiac disease, right? That's just medical that's going through my mind. Next, I need to think about the family dynamic. Okay, well, does mom cook well? Do they cook at all? Does mom model good, healthy behaviors? Is the feeding environment really stressful? Does mom push foods on them? Does she cook broccoli and overboil it and it's really, really plain to the point where I wouldn't even eat it? Right? So you're flooded with information and questions that sometimes it can get a little overwhelming with like, ooh, where do I take this? And that's why I love answering a question with a question. So for the parent that says, my child is really picky, my next question is, what do you mean by picky? And then I let them explain. Oh, well, she only eats da-da-da-da-da. Usually they'll say they only eat mac and cheese. But I need to ask a little bit more questions because if you can allow the parent to like actually look big picture over a few days, not just one day, but a few days, okay, well, you need to get more information. Can you tell me what do they eat for breakfast? Oh, well, she'll have some cereal one day or she might eat a pancake or a waffle. That's three foods that mom just listed right there. <clears throat> what do they have for lunch? Oh, you know, a ham and cheese sandwich and some chips, but they won't eat any, you know, they don't eat any vegetables. Okay, well, ham and cheese sandwich and chips, is we can work with that. And then dinner is going to be mac and cheese and, and chicken nuggets. In de by definition, that's really not a picky eater. She's got a pretty good variety of foods. And if the child eats maybe two or three fruit, that's actually a really good eater for a four or five-year-old. And I, I will tell mom that. I'll say, hey, you know what? I think we need to remove this label from your child because it sounds like she's eating really well and age-appropriate. And I think there could be some areas that we can work on. But your goal as mom is to just improve her relationship with food and make sure that she has a healthy relationship with food and that mealtimes are fun and that there's no stress to eat you know, this food or try this food, but allow her to engage and enjoy and try foods when she's ready. But for right now, mom, you've got a really good eater on your hands. And mom's body language changes. She's like, oh, I thought my kid was picky, right? So just guiding the conversation and making sure you're asking, following a question with a question. Because also too, they'll say, she doesn't eat any fruits or vegetables. And then for the older child, I'll kind of look at them and they're like, oh, but I eat oranges and I like apples and I like, you know, broccoli. And I'm like, hey, that's pretty good. So you do eat some fruits and vegetables. Good job. Right? Because in our minds as adults, we kind of strive for perfection for our kids. And we forget that we have preferences too. Like, I don't like mushrooms. I don't really like asparagus. I, you know, and, and that's okay. And it's okay for kids to have preferences too. And I think parents forget that. So if as a PA, if you can, number one, just pause for a second, allow the parent or patient to explain what they're trying to explain, and then follow that, their question up with a question, I think that will help you so much. My second tip, I know that was a long one, but my second tip, and I think this one is so important, and I teach this to clinicians all the time, and it's you need to be asking permission. Now, what I mean by that is asking permission for a variety of things. The most important thing is asking permission if it's okay to discuss the patient's 
weight. A lot of patients don't want to know what they weighed today or previously, whether it be because they're struggling with obesity or they're struggling with underweight, maybe an underlying eating disorder. They don't really want to know. So I will always ask them, hey, we're going to move into the nutrition portion of today's checkup. Is it okay if we talk about the types of foods that you're eating? And honestly, 99% of the time they say, yes, that's fine. So I'll ask first, can we talk about the food you're eating? And then I'll say, do you have any concerns with what you eat or how much you're eating? After we talk a little bit about the foods that they're eating, what their typical diet looks like, and that only takes two or three minutes, then I'll move in and I'll say, are you comfortable with me going over your growth and discussing what you previously weighed and what you weighed today? That allows the patient to accept or decline. And it gives them autonomy and it shows them, hey, I respect what you want to do and what you want to discuss with your body because it's your body. And if you are like, nope, I don't really want to know about it, then I'm, you know what I'm going to say? Okay, no problem. Let's move on to whatever is your next portion in the checkup or in the exam. Another really great way to ask permission is to do this in the very beginning before you weigh them, right? We always get vitals the minute the patient comes into the room. And I find this is probably more important for the older teens and especially the adults just asking them, are you comfortable if we weigh you today or would you prefer a blind weight? A blind weight is simply they turn around and step on the scale backwards and you don't mention their weight to them. And this, again, just respects them. And I am way more likely to accept information from someone, too, if they ask me if I want it. So another way I'll ask him, I'll ask permission is, hey, we've had a really great conversation, and I know we've just touched the surface, so I'd love to give you some more information. I don't have the time today to discuss that, so I'd love for you to come back to me in like two weeks. But in the meantime, would it be okay if I gave you a handout that discussed this diet or that discussed picky eating? Is it okay if I, hand, if I give that to you today? And again, 99% of the time they're going to say, yeah, that'd be great. I would love that. But it's just so much more respectful to ask someone if they want it rather than saying, here's a handout on you know on your diet read it and I'll see you in two weeks that's like okay well I didn't really ask for this information and it's really rude to just assume that I want it so those are a few ways that I love to ask permission and I think that will completely transform your relationship with your patients if you learn to do that so good and guys this is just a glimpse of what she offers on her podcast go subscribe and follow her again this is exam room nutrition and colleen where else can everybody find you are you on socials and then which podcast platforms like apple spotify all that jazz awesome yes so you can definitely listen in i love more listeners share with your student friends they don't have to be in the healthcare world because it, we kind of discussed this on you know, layman's terms, but this is specifically for PAs, nurse practitioners, clinicians of all kinds. So please share it. I am on Apple. Apple is primarily where most people are listening in, but it's also on Spotify. You can also listen on my website, examroomnutrition.com. And I'm also on Instagram and I would love to connect with you guys on Instagram. I post a lot of really fun, real and funny clips. And then I put some clips of my podcast and then a lot of different statistics as well too. Um, so a lot of really cool resources on Instagram. And my handle is at exam room nutrition. Amazing, Colleen. And uh, we will put all of those links in the episode notes. So go check those out. Thank you so much, Colleen. This was amazing. Thank you, Katie, for having me. I'll jump on anytime. Before you go, don't forget to jump over to the episode notes and sign up for a VIP day with us. Let's meet on Zoom and write your personal statement, write all your CASPA experience paragraphs, 
pick the best PA schools for your stats to make sure you're applying to the right schools that value you. Basically, we meet on Zoom and create your most outstanding PA school application with you. You may be starting out with nothing or very little, but after our VIP sessions, you will have a complete, super strong, super competitive CASPA app that will catch the attention of PA schools so you can land interviews and get accepted. There is nothing else out there like this. Private sessions with expert PA mentors with years of experience actually working in PA admissions. No more missed deadlines, no more average details or a subpar personal statement, no more applying to schools that don't value you. So let's meet on Zoom and put together your most competitive PA school application. We can't wait to work with you and transform your application so that your app showcases how incredible you are as a candidate. Go sign up in the show notes. Thank you for letting us be a part of your journey to PA school. And thanks for listening. We will catch you at the next episode.